listening to Skylight, the Skylight Books podcast. Skylight Books is a general interest bookstore in the Los Feliz neighborhood in Los Angeles. You can shop with us from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. or visit us online 24-7 at skylightbooks.com. Follow along at Skylight Books Instagram and Twitter. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening, and now on to the episode. Hello to all our listeners. This is Sky Lit, the Skylight Books podcast. I'm your host, Elena Saunders, and today I have the pleasure of chatting with George Saunders. Saunders is the author of 11 books and the recipient of numerous awards. He currently teaches at Syracuse University in their graduate creative writing program. He is also my dad. Hi, dad. <laughs> Hi, honey. <laughs> My proudest accomplishment. Oh, I was hoping you were going to say that. Um... How is it going? It's going good. Yeah? It's going good. Yeah, my back's a little out from lugging our dog around because she's yes. old. But we're going to address that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm good. Everything, <laughs> but I'm good. Um, so I wanted to start off um, by kind of having you give a little bit of information about yourself. But I really, I was thinking about this, and there are a lot of interviews that you know kind of go into your background and how you know your journey into becoming a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to look a little bit more into like your interior process of mm-hmm. becoming a writer. Like, did you always think of yourself as a writer, or did that kind of happen over time? Um, you know, hmm, that's a, that's good. I, I I didn't always think of myself as a writer, but I always had this. Um, if I think back, like a desire to distinguish myself somehow, like to be good at something and mm-hmm. be known for being good at something. So sometimes it was just like a pure ego thing. And then when I would get into the heart of doing something, it would become a desire to get better at it. So when I was really young, it was baseball, which I wasn't that great at, and then music. And then I think writing was something that I kind of didn't think was very cool when I was younger. And then at some point, um, I guess when I started reading a little more, then it started to feel cool. And then I thought, okay, this is something I want to do. But it was, I think it was um, under an umbrella of trying to get some attention and trying to do, um, be good at something. That was the... Yes. Yeah, totally. But I mean, so when was your first taste of like feeling like getting some positive attention from that? Because, uh, yeah, that's a great question. I, well, I'm, we don't, it just feels like, you know, there was probably a long process of not getting much attention. Right. Um, and I mean, I think that's every young writer's experience is having like just rejection, rejection, rejection until something hits. But so yeah, can you talk yeah, about and that? trying to maintain faith during that. Yeah, that part. yeah, especially because it's, it's so subjective that you're doing it, and there's no one that will tell you why it doesn't seem good enough. Yeah. But for me, I mean, the, the thing I remember is I was at the school of mines and studying geophysics, so nobody was reading that much, and writing wasn't really part of it. But I took this class. <laughs> and you weren't doing that. Well. <laughs> no, I wasn't doing it. It was in the wrong school. It turned out. But um, so I had a class called uh, by a professor named Jay Gillette, and it was called Mark Twain and the American Western Literature or something. And at the end, he let, he said, "Okay, now we're gonna." Um, each of you is going to write a piece of humor, you know, and uh, I just, it was so easy compared to engineering, which I was always 
working really hard at and getting like C, C minus D. Yeah. And this was just so easy. And when I brought it in, he really liked it. Yeah. And, um, Do you remember what it was about? Yeah, it was, well, it was, uh, it was a lot like what my first book ended up being, mm. which was a guy who was just losing, you know, like a guy who was losing. Uh, and there were a lot of just sort of cheap jokes in it, you know, yeah. but, but it was, um, what was it? Yeah, it was just it was just overstated jokes, but yeah. but told pretty well, and so it was really something to hear him like it because he'd been he'd been to this mythical place called Berkeley, you know, which I like. Yeah. Oh, uh. <laughs> uh, and then the other kids in the class were kind of like, um, "Ooh, you're weird," but also like, <laughs> "Wow, you did that," you know. And so yeah. I'd never gotten I always got the there the reaction of well, none really, just like you know being in the middle to bottom of the class and trying to figure out how all these bastards did it, you know, yeah. but not studying and everything. So that was a, a moment when um, there was that and there was another class called Theory of Knowledge, which is like a philosophy class. And there I just would sort of, he'd ask a question and I would just kind of know how to answer it, answer it at length. And it was the same feeling, like people kind of looking at you like, what are you, what's well, weird that you know that? Mm-hmm. But I'm like, yeah, but it's weird that you know so much about science. <laughs> you know, <it's> so touche. <laughs> but that was, so that was the first time. And then I think uh, around that time I was reading a lot of the old, you know, 1930s literature. And I remember one day I went down to Clear Creek with a little old copy of De Maupassant and read it. And there was something so um, – it was maybe one of the rare times when what I wanted to do and what I was doing were in the same circle. Mm-hmm. Like that whole time was me saying, well, I don't really want to be an engineer and I'm not good at it, but I do want to graduate. So I'll suck it up for, you know, the whole yeah. semester. And that was just a moment of like, wow, that this is so nice to do what you're good at, which also happens to be what you want to do. But the thing is at that point, the little sort of defect in my development was I didn't recognize that that was not just nice, but necessary. Like I was, mm-hmm. I was kind of a little bit of a Catholic in the sense that I thought, well, if I'm not good at it and it's really hard, it must be what I'm meant to do, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so then when did, like, what happened with your writing? When did you start having like a habitual writing practice? You know, like uh, yeah. obviously before you went to Syracuse, I'm hoping. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Well, mostly for me, it started when I went overseas. I was in Asia in yeah. this oil camp. And so... We were uh, out in the jungle in Sumatra, and it was too far to go anywhere. There was nothing around at all. So yeah. uh, a lot of the guys would just – there was a bunk hall, and then there was kind of a – again, this is like a – I don't know what you call it. it was, we call it the bar, but it was just a, a bar in an empty room. Yeah. And mostly after dinner, the guys would go over there and just get trashed, you know. Yeah. Um, so I sometimes would do that with them. And then um, – but I found out I had a key to the office, so I could go back to the office and have a typewriter, and I could write a little bit. So that was the first time I tried to kind of have a pretty regular schedule, and it was not very fun. It was, I mean, yeah. it, I knew that what I was writing wasn't very good, um, but I also knew I should have discipline. So that was sort of, and then um, I think the next time was uh, I was in Chicago, and I just kind of gotten fired from this roofing job, and my high school teachers, the Limblums, took me in. They were kind of, they saw that I was kind of circling the drain. And they had this nice house with an attic uh, bedroom. And they said, look, why don't you just take uh, two months and just write? Don't don't worry. We're going to feed you. You know, you don't have to work. So I and I so I did it. I just went up there every day when they went. They drive in to teach. And I just go up there and work for six or seven hours. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that was really the. Yeah, it was kind of like um, so periods like that separated by just farting around and trying to make a living. Uh, and then then. A couple of years later, I was in Amarillo working at an apartment complex, and I went through one of those phases. And um, something, 
I actually had a dream and woke up from the dream and wrote from that language. And that became the story that I later got published and that got me into Syracuse. So it was, it was all hit or miss, you know, nothing. Yeah. yeah. Do you think, do you think it would have been more difficult for you to like have that habit of writing if you were in a place that had more distraction? Like, you know, you're talking about kind of the, the boredom of being out in Indonesia in the, you know, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Where you have maybe two books that you brought and then you're done with those two books and you don't really have much else to do. Yeah. And I can, that's, you're right. And I can prove it because I used, I lived here in LA for a while. Yeah. And I was a, um, a doorman in Beverly Hills and there was so much going on. Yeah. And I had a little, in the apartment I was living in, I had a, a closet that I made into my writing space. And I had like, I think I had something <laughs> Sounds like... Sounds like my LA experience. <laughs> no, I mean, there was nowhere else to go. So I think there was a blanket or maybe some beads or something to separate it from the rest of the house. Yeah. But I never went in there because it was always stuff going on. And yeah. at that time, you know, I was very much under the sway of Kerouac and Hemingway a little bit, but at that time, Kerouac. So I thought, well, of course I don't have anything to write about. It. I'm not doing anything cool. So, uh, and I thought that's why I did come to LA so you can find your artistic group of people that yeah. later everyone will talk about, you yeah. know? And so I was doing a lot of running around trying to find that, yeah. uh, which precluded any actual writing time. But it was a vicious circle because you'd go out and do something and you, how do I write about this? I have no idea. Okay. That's not productive. Then I used to go to sit down and try to write and I would just be like, I don't have anything. And yeah. I, you know, I knew enough, I think Ira Glass talks about this. My standards were high enough as a reader that I could see that what I was writing was shitty. Yeah. So it was, I mean, it was really, um, it's a scary, I think a lot of people come to that where you haven't figured out how to do it yet. You know that what you're doing isn't good enough. And mean, meanwhile, real life is saying, come have fun or come make a living. Yeah. So then what happens is you never get to that kind of um, deep moment where, you have to push through and find what you're what you're trying to do. Yeah. You know, but so yeah, it was it was very touch or go. You know, yeah. Touch and go. So how do you like when you are you know facing that kind of rejection and and writing isn't mm. fun yet? Because now you you say like right you say yeah. writing is fun for you. <laughs> I always say that. <laughs> and, yeah. I haven't seen any evidence, but um, <laughs> but yeah. So like yeah, you know, writing is fun for you now, but it wasn't then. It wasn't. No, it was, it was, a, it, was a tor- it was the worst torture because it was. I wanted to have written, yeah. you know, I wanted, but, and then when you actually try to do it, it would suck. So then you're at a real impasse, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's really the, the trickiest part. I, at that time, I think I wrote mostly because uh, I did have that strong desire to, to someday be a writer. Yeah. Uh, I had nothing else going on really that was as interesting. Yeah. So I think I just, uh, I, I don't know if I, I mean, I was going to say I had faith, but I don't think even that, I think it was just kind of like, I mean, the thing is, there were other things I'd done in my life that didn't work right away. Yeah. So you kind of go, well, you have to work at it a little bit. And then also there was, I, th- I suppose, taking comfort in what little progress you did make. Like, even though I can look back and say, okay, in this period, I was working on this story that turned into, into nothing. But inside that period, you were still making small improvements, which I think. But I think that the real truthful answer is I just wanted it so badly. Yeah. And... um I had tried other things. You know, music was, I, I still love music, but I could tell really early with that that it wasn't going to be yeah. my life's work. I didn't love it enough. Yeah. So I think I just kept coming back to it out of a kind of a, I mean, on one hand, just desperate ego. I really wanted to be known for something. Yeah. I really, and I wanted to have my life be an artistic life. Um, yeah, and I think also kind of like at some point I was like, you can't, if, you, if you only talk about it and not, don't do it, you're full of shit. And yeah. so you know, get on. But, but again, I, I did quit. There were months where I didn't do anything in that whole period, you know, where I just would 
just working or traveling or whatever. Did you have ever a point where you're just like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Like you were, you were thinking of giving up. Cause I would imagine that there was a point, but then you're like, well, what, what am I doing? Yeah. It, it was also, I, the other thing I had that I, I'm kind of embarrassed about was I had an incredible, I mean, you would call it confidence if there was any grounding to it, but it was just like, I kind of, I know I'm going to do this sometime. Someday I'll get it. Uh, which Might as well actually, do it now. <laughs> well, kind of, yeah, like that. And also like a, an arrogance because I, for a lot of that time, I wasn't, I wasn't despairing about not being good at it because I knew I would be. Yeah. I wasn't reading that much to try to get better at it. I wasn't seeking any teaching. I just was like this, um, honestly, I think I did a lot of thinking about what it would be like when it happened. You know, it <laughs> and what been, did you think it was going to be like? Uh, you know, just, I, I always wanted, I, I always coveted the idea of having an actual physical book. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, if, if I, this is the problem of being interviewed by your daughter. You tend to be more honest than you. Um, I think I had this feeling. I just, I, I always wanted to please people slash be known for something. Yeah. So a lot of the mental life then was <laughs> imagining what it would be like when people liked me for my writing. <laughs> like, I, like thinking, oh, well, Saunders is, you know, I told you this story one time when I used to play baseball, I'd always have a narrative, uh, like a sports catcher on my mind. So, yeah, well, the, the young American. Yeah. So it was kind of like that. I was like, yeah, he, you know, he, uh, so there was a lot of narration of the future success that I was making no attempts to actually get. Well, that, and that's so funny because I always really link your writing life now with your spiritual life. Mm-hmm. Um, because it does seem like it's definitely a practice. Like Mm -hmm. you have, you, you try at least to do it every day and you enjoy doing it every day. Um, so it's funny to think that like something that was so linked up with your ego at the beginning is now like probably still pretty linked up with your ego. Yeah. Um, but, but has a kind of a different tilt to it in a weird way. But that's exactly it. The tilt, because, you know, even, even now I can be writing something and in at 305 being a really you know, like pure relation to the text. I'm not even there. I'm just like trying to figure it out. Yeah. Then something will happen, and at 3:06, I'll go, "Ooh, the New Yorker is going to love this." Or you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, the young American. It just yeah. you know. And then at 3:07, I'll suddenly get distracted and want to quit. I mean, so I think yeah. that's the interesting thing is you have to be willing to accept. I think accept whatever mindset happens to be on you at the moment. Don't disallow too much. And say, yeah, well, of course I'm egotistical. That's why I got into this. And, yeah. I mean, most of what we do in this life has some ego basis. Yeah. So that so the, maybe the, the ambition would be to, um, well, I say allow everything and maybe cha- just slightly over the course of your life change the emphasis. So now I'm much, partly because I've had some success, I'm much less concerned about that and more concerned about kind of like the clock ticking and trying to do the best work I can in the time left. Or on a given day with like, well, let's, you know, can we do as much as possible to get this story to the higher ground? Yeah. So I think that the, the mix has changed over the years, maybe. You yeah, know? But yeah, even yeah. then, it, was, it wasn't that different. I mean, what, what we would call a spiritual life at that point was very much an aspiration life. Like, how do I, it was about being cool. Like, how do I become somebody who's accomplishing something? Um, uh, so that felt, it didn't feel spiritual, but it felt kind of consuming, you know? And, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. How did um how did having kids change your perspective on on writing and and literature? In well, general? in retrospect, it gave me everything because before ah. that, no, 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 seriously, yes. because bef- I mean, it's often to think it's it's common to think the opposite. Like, yeah, when I had my kids, my creative life slowed down. But for me, uh, if I look back up to that time, I was working hard at it because I'd been through Syracuse and I had uh, still you know the ambition, 
But before we had you guys, I didn't really have a very active moral life. Like I was a good person kind of out of habit. Like I just, I wouldn't, you know, I wasn't like doing anything too bad. Uh, But I didn't really have a sense of uh, moral urgency Mm -hmm. in in my work. Like, I I don't know, I don't know what a story should be about or what it should take on. It seems all pretty cut and dry to me. So there'd be a lot of manufactured uh, drama a la Hemingway that had nothing to do with my life. Then we had you guys and we didn't have any money. And, and the, the, the primary thing going on in my mind at that time was, holy shit, you know, this is so amazing. Now I understand why people have kids. I, I, you know, I understand from the inside. It's the number one thing in life. I hope I don't fail these guys. Hey, you know, yeah. we don't have any money. It's a little bit, uh, I'm projecting ahead to when you're 10, 11, 12. This is going to be embarrassing if we don't get our shit together and have a decent, at least middle-class American life. Yeah. And I can't seem to do that. Yeah. And I also, am I going to have to let this writing dream go and all that pressure? Yeah. But the main thing that happened was, um, you know, to have these two little beings suddenly who are so precious to you. And just by extrapolation, you go, oh, God, every kid was born that way. Every kid either was or should have been loved like this. Mm-hmm. Everything popped into moral focus all of a sudden. Every, I mean, every, literally everything mattered. Mm. You, you walk by... Um, somebody who's having a hard time living on the street. You're like, oh my God, that was somebody's kid, you know? Or it worked. I mean, I was working on a corporate job and suddenly I I wasn't like, um, you know, maybe that sort of cliche way of thinking at that time was, oh yeah, I'm just a corporate stooge, you know, like selling out to the system. So there was some of that. And also there was, oh my God, we've got insurance. Yeah. You know, I'm doing this for somebody. I'm doing it for my family. And then also... And yet I'm away from them 10 hours a day and I'm missing so much, you know, so it got, everything got fraught. And, um, even a small, like at work, if somebody was trying to push me out of a project or something, or, yeah. uh, if anything was happening, cause the job wasn't a given, it was kind of a, the, the branch we were in wasn't doing that well and people were getting laid off. So all of that was suddenly infused with meaning. So yeah. a, a little corporate intrigue that a few years before I would have thought was just mundane banal crap was life or death you know so it was really good you know and then but the only problem was then you still have now you have the problem of um the starving artist thing is out the ram the rambling that's out (laughs) and so you have to find the time that was yeah 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 yeah. yeah. well that leads me to um another question i wanted to ask you um so a lot of your earlier work is kind of based off of the shortfalls of capitalism, um, you know, the cruelty and humiliation of it, uh, which is something that you were very familiar with. You know, you worked in a slaughterhouse. You, I think when Caitlin was born, were selling Cokes at a ballpark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Very so, lucrative, that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so these experiences obviously, like, influenced a lot of your mm-hmm. earlier work. But now that you're kind of a kind of a successful writer, mm. um, what uh, what would you say informs your work now, or what yeah. makes it feel urgent? Yeah, well, that I mean, in a, well, the funny thing is, I I didn't at the time realize that I was writing about capitalism. I was just kind of doing some other stuff, like how to, trying to get the energy going. Yeah. So now I think it's kind of the same principle. Like I'm assuming that all that stuff is still there somewhere. It's it's buried because now we have a, an easier life. Yeah. But I think those early experiences of being we were never poor, but being challenged in that way, yeah. they don't really go away. You know, like that feeling of, I still have it. When you pull a credit card out, you're kind of like, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it goes through. Yes. But, but I think then, so I still think you, 
I think now what I thought then, which is you have to write to find out what it is that's important to you. You, you don't want to think, you don't want to have the idea in your head, I write about capitalism, because then you will, and that'll be it. Yeah. So I think what's happened from, from an outsider perspective, the um, that early struggle with um, capitalism and all that, and the grace that it, the erosion of grace that's associated with it. Yeah. Uh, I think I feel it a little bit expanding now where it's, um, you know, that feeling of being uh, an unlimited person in a limited universe is universal. It's not, I mean, it takes a particular manifestation in capitalism, mm. but anybody who's alive in this world, no matter how rich they are or how whatever, they feel impending death, they feel illness, they feel the limitations of their own identity. So I, I think I'm feeling in this book I just finished that there's some of that like, okay, even if your life was okay, you might not be okay. Yeah. You know, that kind of samsara type yeah, feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but again, that's just what I'm noticing now that I've finished it and I'm reading it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yes. So you talk a lot about that meter in your head. <laughs> I don't know which one you mean. <laughs> Can you refresh my memory? <laughs> um, when you're writing stories, the yeah. positive negative meter sentence to sentence. Oh, I love that. Yeah, idea. it's a great idea. <laughs> I'm going to use that. You can, yeah, I'll charge 25 cents every time you use it. And, uh, You'd be rich. I'd be really rich. <laughs> um, but you can explain a little bit about that for whoever hasn't mm-hmm. heard that. Um, but my, my no. real question, no. but, you know, <laughs> no. my actual question, um, was, so, so you can explain that, but also it reminds me a lot of the situation that we're having with Kai, who mm. is our dog. Yes. Um, uh, and so Kai is this very old dog who we mm. love very much, mm. um, who's very physically healthy but seems to have some sort of dog dementia yeah. happening. And a couple so, of little leg issues. And too, a couple so. of leg issues. Yeah. So um, I'll let you explain a little bit more about Kai. <laughs> and But my, my main question is the situation with Kai. Do you think that um, that approach, um, do you think you approach like frustrating circumstances the same way that you approach stories. So, so yes, that's very perceptive because what I, or at least I try to, I mean, yeah. like a lot of times I'm just, you know, yeah. irritated, but I think the idea that you, um, in writing, what, what that approach boils down to is really is let's forget what you thought about the story yesterday and read it today and yeah. just see, see if you were a first time reader, how would you react to it? If you don't like the word, you know, coast, you cut it and yeah. you know so it's just it's just basically reader reader response so i think that's part of my um that's the meter that we're talking yeah, about right. yeah right you just read it and see and and uh i mean the meter is kind of just a, a, a cheesy metaphor i came up with but it's basically the process of saying instead of okay when i was a younger writer what i thought was what do i want to do what's mm-hmm. my intention uh how can i outsmart this stupid reader and make her feel what i want her to yeah then the change was um well, let's just see what you think. Like, just read it. Read it as if you didn't see it before and see what it does to you and adjust. So that's part of, I think, um, and I was doing that a long time. I think I started talking about it this way when we became Buddhist because the idea is, as in a moment in real life, you, you know, you're bringing your ideas to the moment. Um, I'm tense, I'm nervous, I'm happy, I'm whatever. He doesn't like me, uh, I'm about to get fired. But in in sort of a, um, a more advanced approach is to, quiet that down and see, just see, like, you know, without too much mental activity, assess the moment, see what energy is coming off it. So that's with the, with Kai, that's part of what I'm doing now is saying, okay, on the one hand, I'm a 63 year old irritable guy who's mm-hmm. 
being taxed beyond my limits, but also I'm the person observing that. So I can say, okay, um, if whenever the dog waits in the middle of the night, you leap out, up and say, fuck, <laughs> then you're going to go into the next room grouchy. And then you're going to handle, you know, less well. If you pause for a second and go, oh, Kai. Yeah. Then you're better. So, I mean, it's the same. It's, I think everything in life, I'm starting to think, is about um, how good can you get at quieting your mind, which is not really that useful in a lot of yeah. occasions. And then, um, you know, if you, if you quiet the monkey mind, something else arises. And that thing, I think, is more reliable. So, but which which started first, though, for you? Was it like because I really see that the correlation between the way that you approach your writing and the way that you approach a lot of different difficult and like mm. frustrating situations in life, and I'm wondering if they feed off of each other or if if like one started before. The I think other. the writing was first. Yeah, because I did. I had a very long, difficult apprenticeship with the method of saying. I'm in control here, you know? And um, so when I got to that, there's a moment when I was at Radiant and I kind of figured out how to write in this way. That was the first time I'd ever felt anything like that. Like just respond intuitively to what's in front of you on the page, Mm. you know? And also there was an element of being entertaining, which I kind of put off to the side. But then after that, not long after that, we started doing meditation and I I could see that they were kind of related, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's it's partly, I have a really active, anxious mind. So part of it is just a, almost like mentally thinking, okay, just lean back a little bit. Don't don't think so much. Don't act yeah. so quickly on your first thought. But I think the writing led led me to it. And I, I if you know, if you'd asked me this um, back in the rating days, I would not have had an answer. In fact, I went on um, NPR. My first media thing I ever did. I drove. I was so excited. I drove from uh, Rochester, Washington D.C. in a day. And went on the All Things Considered, and I was so nervous. I mean, I talk fast all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but on the way home, I was listening to the radio, and it was like, Robert Siegel would be like, so George. Da, da, da. I'd be <laughs> Mom called me, said, I, I called from a gas station, said, did they speed that up? <laughs> so, but, but part of the reason I was talking so fast, is I had no idea. He would say like, well, how did you approach the writing of these stories? I'm like, I, I just heard them. I just heard them. <laughs> So, so I didn't really have any conceptual idea that I was um, enacting an approach at that point. I was just yeah. really, you know, it was only later, especially when I started teaching, that you have to go, oh, what, what is it that's happening there, you know? So it was first that I figured out how to do it on the page, and then it started to slowly inform the rest of my life. Like, that's, you yeah. know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's really interesting. Um, okay, now, this is kind of um, okay, so a... Okay, that, that's, that's one of the benefits of artistic practice is you're, it's probably the the place in one's life that privileges the intuitive most strongly. Yeah. So you're you're working on something by intuition and inadvertently find out who you are long before you can articulate it. It's it your taste sort of leads you to it. And um and in that mode nobody's asking you to defend it. Like when you're painting or something, you're playing a song. No one's saying, Well can you explain why that's you know, that's not a valid question. So your your instincts get you there before your intellectual mind could. And once you get there, you I remember just recognizing that feeling of how it felt to work on a story correctly for me and how the, the confidence. I remember riding home along the Erie Canal after a day of writing, or not a day of writing, but a day in which I had written a little bit. Yeah. And just feeling like, yeah, okay, <laughs> I know who I am. And no matter what the rest of my life looks like, it, you know, I'm kind of a frazzled, inefficient father, you know, um, living in a rental house or a small house we bought, I, I had that little 15 minute window when I'd really felt like myself that I'd been led to by intuition, you know, so that was yeah. very empowering. Well, that's another interesting thing is like the, um, 
the kind of empowerment that can come from just even a small bit of of your artistic practice like you know obviously life is difficult and I wonder you know how much having that artistic practice sustained you through you know some of the more difficult times in your life it was huge I mean well also I mean when you guys we're living in Pittsburgh and I I think we were down to one car so I'd ride this bike to and from work and so it was it was um in some ways difficult in this mundane way it wasn't that hard but it, yeah. I just thought oh I can't believe I'm a tech writer you know I'm not I'm not making a lot of money I'm kind of low on the totem pole but then between having having you and mom you guys and mom at home like I have a, a beautiful family that I actually really love I I never I guess I hadn't imagined that happening to me you know so yeah. that was a huge just to get home and be in that was a big and then but as you say then to say okay that I, I served that part of my life by working and now I'm going to go home and participate I also quietly, privately served my artistic life for that little tiny window when I stole twenty minutes and yeah. and um, and did pretty well. So that that felt that was really maybe the happiest time of my life. You know, to be needed at home, to be doing something, uh, you know, vaguely self-sacrificing at, yeah. at work, and then also to be able to preserve a little bit of a wedge of of uh, that. It, I, I, it, it took me like. Um, Remember, there's a time when I would ride home on the bus, and that was my editing time, you know? Yeah. And just to say, okay, first of all, I hope nothing crazy happens on this bus to interrupt <laughs> me, and have my little red pen and my story, and just, like, to work through the draft once or twice on the bus, and then when I got done, I knew I had this little pile of papers that had good changes in it. They weren't stupid. I didn't do them lightly. Put it in my backpack, have my day, knowing I could go back in the morning and put the changes in. That was, you know, it was so rich. It yeah. was fantastic, you know? I still... I still um, love that time because it wasn't, it wasn't my main job. Nobody knew I was doing it. It was very secret. Uh, I mean, mom knew, but it, yeah. the world didn't know. And it was, um, it was all ahead. You know, it was all potential. Yeah. And I could feel I was, I was doing something kind of new for me, and it was really sweet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, was there ever a medium or like what's a form you appreciate but couldn't see yourself pulling off very well, like within the writing world? Uh, well, I mean, screenplays I've been, as you know, struggling with since you were three or maybe two. Actually, I remember very clearly when, when you were little, you may remember we made you a dollhouse. Mom and I made yeah, you a dollhouse a in dollhouse the attic. dollhouse from Papa. Yeah. And so I remember though that, um, it was in Pittsburgh and we had the dollhouse on the floor and there was that white table that, um, you have now, I think. Do you have that one? That white mm, kitchen table? Is it with, wooden? Yeah. Yeah. That one. No, that one got, that one got ruined. No, well, anyway. Chicago. <laughs> what? <laughs> Uh, a family heirloom. But anyway, yeah. But anyway, some little tables up there, and I would, I would, uh, my job was to put the dollhouse together, and mom would paint it, and then I was working on a screenplay. Yeah. Even then, and it was. Oh yeah, wow. Yeah, what, yeah. What screenplay? It was what for offloading you? for Mrs. Schwartz, and it was uh, the Hudland brothers, who are great filmmakers, and they had been nice enough to commission me to write a pilot, and I just had no idea how to do it. So that yeah. one's eluded me all all this time. Um, poems, not you know. Uh, uh, well, I don't know. Yeah. The only thing I, I mean, with some fic- fun, funny poems. Funny poems, you yeah. Can I can write funny poems, yeah. yeah. I, I have the working class curse of um, poems and plays. They they seem above me, so whenever I do it, I get an elevated diction, like you know, yeah. it was an evening, the clouds were low, <laughs> yeah. you know. Why, why do you? But if you say I didn't write a funny poem, then I'm like, oh, yeah, I could, yeah, I could yeah, yeah, yeah. What about like a biography or something? I it doesn't it's a circle it doesn't interest me because I know I couldn't do it well yeah. so it's just like I I just oh, well, I, back to the ego thing yeah, yeah yeah but so now now that you like before we were talking about kind of the ego and like the wanting to be appreciated for something that mm-hmm. you do well 
now that you have been appreciated for something that you do well, what what's I'm what's, actually not neurotic at all anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just I just knew it. Yeah, no. I, the yeah. Dalai Lama always said, "Just go out and be really successful." <laughs> That's all it takes. Yeah. Don't fail. If you don't want to be unhappy, all don't of fail. my natural natural ideas were right about this. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean one thing is it. it um, I see. I think. Yeah, it's it's interesting. There there are there have been times when, uh, no, I'm trying to think. I was going to say there have been times when I've had enough success where my ambition waned a little bit, mm. but then my self esteem is low enough, or you could say my respect for the form is enough. Yeah, that I'll I'll something will come out and I'll get some praise for it. Not enough, probably, but some. You know, it's yeah. enough. Not enough. Never is for yeah. me. But then um, I'll read something good. And I'll go, oh, yeah, wait a minute. You haven't even started yet. So there's some kind of combination of, of the of pride that lets me finish something and polish it, feeling like it's the best thing ever. Mm. And then not long after that, self-doubt or realism enters in. Well, yeah, it's okay, but read Tolstoy, stupid. And then, yeah. you know, so that 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 I really trust, that feeling of wanting to, um, you know, keep um, getting better at it, you know. Yeah. The, the attention thing is a little more problematic because, yes, it, it's never enough. You You never... And it's almost like being a, being um, putting your faith in a sugar buzz. Like, you know, you yeah. you can you can do it like six thousand times, and the, the next time you're like, you know, what, this is, I kind of see where this is going. Yeah. And so I think slightly as I'm getting older, the attention, whether it's positive or negative, is becoming a little less. Uh, it's calling me less. Yeah. Having gotten both, you feel like okay, well, that's that's okay. Let's ignore that and try to get to the concentrate on the the quality of what you're doing you yeah. know so it's it is like doing something repetitively and then finally going oh yeah so i see it in a sense that's kind of empty there isn't really yeah. praise and blame you get it uh and still if i get praise i inflate a little if i get blamed i get defensive yeah but you also there is that mind that steps outside and goes yeah of course you know you're yeah. if you eat a lot of beans you're gonna fart that's not <laughs> it's not a, not a character thing you know so it's now you would say a little bit, hopefully, more tending towards like the artistic form. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I always, I always, I think I always did, but maybe early on it was like I want to. The, the two well, things you were very not tied together. The phrase yet, you right? Know? And I didn't have a life yet. I yeah. hadn't made a life in it. So now I think it is becoming more and more, especially because you know you. I mean, we joke about the my impending demise <laughs> and all, but but I think as you do get older, the I end mean, is near. the end is near. But how near? <laughs> but you do kind of think well. um, uh, where, where is my time put most profitably? And to try to get more attention doesn't seem that great. Right. But to try to say, well, you know, it, it'd be nice to, uh, well, if nothing else, just as a way to spend your days, you know, to yeah. try to write something that's really good and better than you've done before. That that feels I mean, not quite solid, but it feels substantial. Doesn't this, like, kind of Sisyphus-like nature of it depress you, though? Sometimes, yeah. yes. Yeah. But, not, you know, honestly, it, it does only when I'm not doing it. Like mm. between after Lincoln and the Bardo, I had a lot of that feeling like, oh my God, I got to start over again. And at the best, I won't get that much attention again. So, you know, yeah. but then once you actually get on the hunt, you know, it's a little bit like that, like the dogs start banging, like, ah. So yeah. I, so part of it for me is to go, okay, that's real. You know, yeah. I know it is a cir- it is uh, circular, but I also know that once I submit to the circularity of it, it's really pleasurable and it's meaningful and it's yeah. maybe... You know, to a certain extent, it might be something that staves off depression for me a little bit. Yeah. You know, in the times when I couldn't work, I can feel myself getting a little bit low energy. So it, um, when I'm in it, I'm like, of course I would chase that that 
deer or whatever. Of course, yeah. you know, uh, when you're not in it, sometimes you can say, oh, hunting. It's so silly. <laughs> you know? Well, it's also like one of those things where you can totally, if you start applying that logic to something you enjoy, then you can actually apply it to everything. It's like, why am I taking a shower? Right. You know, why exactly. am I? That's a good question. Why, are, why, what's with all this shower? Yeah, what's with everything? No, but I, I think that's, that's something, you know, when I was in high school, I, I don't know what brought this on, but. I think probably, you know, like the sick, the cycle of life where you sometimes just have a low moment. But I remember thinking that like, well, since um, everything that I can think of that's fun is servicing my ego and is therefore invalid, mm. isn't the highest position to not want anything. And I thought, yeah, that's right. That's very Eastern, you know, just don't want it. And I tried it and I almost, I mean, I almost went crazy. I just felt so <laughs> bored by life. Like, like really, yeah. why should I get out of bed? Why should I go to school? Um... If I feel, uh, well, it's kind of uh, like you got to the the end point without doing the, the right, work to right, get no, there. Right. But, like, no, that's you're true. You're not naturally not wanting anything. You're just kind of like you're skipping. Uh, you're it. skipping right. At, yeah. But there's something to that. Yeah. Like if you had, if you knew that living one way made you happy and energetic and animated, and living another way made you feel depressed and tired, and you know, it's, you know, in the abstract, either one is is as good as the next but when you've been depressed and, and tired and despondent that's yeah. not very fun you know yeah. so you pray to be in that second phase you yeah know? Hmm. um okay i just have like a couple more questions these are um, great questions but i'm not okay. just saying that because you're my daughter <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 um uh so these are questions i've never been asked before uh, actually well yeah. i worked really hard on that because because of the meter thing you know <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, this is just the kind of a last silly one, but uh, how do you name your books? Like uh, what, like, you know, Lincoln and the Bardo, Swim in the Pond in the Rain, Swim in a Pond in the Rain. Yeah, easy for you to say. <laughs> um, I mostly, well, the one thing I try not to do is make them too charged, you know, like if yeah. you have a metaphorical title, I, I, that doesn't, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I just, I actually, you know, I just want a title that I think is kind of cool. Yeah. Like I, I, I um, like I think the swim in the pond with the rain was named something like studies in the Russians or something. I'm like I don't want I don't want that you know. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of just waiting as late as I can, and then if something with Lincoln and Bardo, that was that was a, I had the title before the book. I just liked that way that sounded. Yeah. And at one point there was some talk about changing it because you know Bardo is kind of a weird an Eastern word. word. Yeah. So someone is like Lincoln at the gate or something, and I just went nah. My heart just sunk when I, I yeah. Didn't, you know. So I think it's I think a lot of art is really. Um, honoring a part of ourselves that we usually suppress, which is just, I like it. Yeah. I just, it's cool. I just yeah. think it's cool. I, you know, uh, and so in a way, I think you're, that's editing, revising is just doing that over and over again, like saying, I'm going to choose what I radically prefer. And, and it's interesting because you, you put aside your normal good person armor, which feels like it has to def defend everything and articulate everything. But you go, no, I just, it's that because I like it better yeah. you know although i do remember when i was younger um and in syracuse in the syracuse house i'd be working on a story and i'd need a name and i'd yell up the hall elena give me a name and you'd go like ted ed <laughs> or, or burn some crazy name so pastorelli has a lot of names that you shouted down you didn't even come down the hall <laughs> give me a name that. yeah yeah yeah, well, there was something in some of those, like when you used to do those those little drawings. That those that those are really for me kind of inspiring because they were so simple, and they were really funny and plain, you know. And I, and I always thought that was that was cool. So. I don't remember the drawings. I like the one where you said, um, uh, 
there's there's a there's a little guy and a big monstrous looking guy and the little guy's saying who knows they might be nice <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's like N-I-S-E. who knows yeah, yeah who knows they might they be might nice, be nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay well uh thank you so much thank for you. doing this dad my pleasure um my guest was george saunders and you can purchase his book a swim in a pond in the rain at skylightbooks.com Boom. That was. Is that good? Really good. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.